Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, and today on the Rock Metal Podcast, we have White Void, and they have a new album called Anti, which released on March 12th via Nuclear Blast Records. Right now, I'm being joined by Lars to share some more information about this stellar release and some of the accoutrements, such as pink vinyl, which I think is super cool. So, Lars, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely great to have you on. Now... I guess my first question with this record is, it's called Anti. We have an astronaut on the cover. He's saying hello to a dove, I think, and his mask has been shattered. So in other words, he should be in a lot of trouble right now. So take us through this record. What is this record about? Is there a theme? Yes. Uh, and it's kind of a complicated one, and everything is tied together here with from the cover to the title to the lyrics, to the music, so this could take some time. Do you want me to do the short, short version, or just the short version? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps the short version. Give, give me the whole, the whole tit. I want, I want yeah, full, okay. full milk mm. fat. Um, the whole album is based on a philosophical direction called absurdism. Mm -hmm. And it was developed by uh, a French-Algerian author in, in the 50s, Albert Camus, um, and what it does, it, it starts with what they call the problem of the absurd. Um, and the problem of the absurd is what existentialism is trying to tackle and what nihilism is trying to tackle too. Uh, but absurdism tackles this uh, in a different fashion than, than the others. So the problem of the absurd is the, the discrepancy between what we need as human beings when it comes to sense and direction in life and what the universe serves us, which is nothing. You know, you, the universe goes, there you go, you exist. And you go, okay, thank you, I guess. Now what? And the, <laughs> the universe goes, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a problem, you know. The, the, we, need, we need some direction and we need some sense. And the universe is a cold, chaotic place. Um, and that, you know, that gap, that's the problem of the absurd. So... Um, what Camus says is, well, yes, existence is absurd. There's no way around that, you know, um, that there's no way of, of countering the facts that existence is absurd. However, you can handle that fact by accepting it, because if you accept it, if you accept that this is it, there's no way around it, I can't fight it, then you free yourself to, to rise above that fact, so it's like the absurd, the absurdity of your existence is churning on underneath you, but you are free to to take in your life on top of that. Uh, so so that's the basic theme of the album, um, and um, the the title. How is that connected to the title? Is well, absurdism. Uh, life is absurd. That seems like a pretty negative thing, right? But what Camus says is it doesn't have to be. You know, that, that's the philosophy. Yeah. Anti as a word is a really interesting word because it's a prefix. So it doesn't really carry proper meaning until you pair it with another word. Right. So right. Yeah, the, your first idea when you hear anti is it's something negative. It's against something. Right. However, if you put a negative after anti, anti becomes a positive. If you put a positive after anti, anti becomes a negative. So that word has kind of this, the, the same effect that absurdism has on the fact that we live in a chaotic universe. So the reason why I chose that word was just it has that same basic inherent quality that 
communist absurdism has. So it serves as a gate opener to that whole way of thinking. Uh, and the, um, the cosmonaut on the cover, it's not an astronaut, it's a cosmonaut because the painter, New Zealand artist Jeremy Geddes, says it is. <laughs> he uses the Russian term for some reason. Okay. Um, uh, he is in an absurd situation as well. Uh, so it kind of depicts that whole, you know, feeling of being lost in the world, uh, being lost in the absurdity of the world. The, the, the cosmonaut is weightless. The dove is clearly not because it's flying using, it's using its wings. So already there, the, the whole thing is absurd. The visor is going to pieces. You see no reason why it should, you know, nothing, nothing's hit it. There is nothing else there. So it's, it's just a really strong image to, to sort of throw you into that feeling of the absurdity of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the short answer. Can you imagine what the long answer is like? <laughs> <laughs> I I think you could go on for at least another hour, Lars. <laughs> I can. <laughs> well, it's something that you touched on, and um, I have to excuse my my ignorance. I went to university, but I don't necessarily remember all my my Kierkegaard here. But uh, I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page, and I saw uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he touched on that. You did mention existentialism and nihilism, so I guess yeah, absurdism does touch on that. And then we have this painting. Yeah. Uh, by Franz Stuck or Stuck, Sisyphus. And there's this guy who's naked who's trying to put a rock up a hill, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, but something that, that kind of struck when you said, you know, if you accept that life is absurd and you rise above it, I thought to myself for a second, that almost sounds like enlightenment, where you realize that this is it, so you should probably let go of expectations that it will be otherwise, and then you're free. And then when you're free, you can en- enjoy life per se, I guess, better than other people? I don't yeah. know. Well, the, 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 uh, here's the thing with the Sisyphus myth. I mean, uh, Camus uses the Sisyphus, Sisyphus myth to, to explain how absurdism works. So he says, Sisyphus, uh, uh, he, he was gained eternal life by the gods, uh, or he kind of fooled them to make him immortal. And the gods were really pissed when they found out, so they said, okay, you're immortal. However, you have to roll this rock to the top of this mountain forever. And the reason why you have to do that forever is it won't stay on top of the mountain. It will roll down on the other side, and then you have to begin again. Right. Uh, and Camus says that, that that's that's life. That's the absurdity of life. We keep we have to keep rolling this boulder. We don't know why. You know, mm-hmm. there's no sense to any of this. Uh, I mean, we 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 get no we get no system. Um, from the universe that we set out to fulfill. We don't get a goal over there that we have to go to uh, in order to, you know, uh, nail life, <laughs> so to speak. It's just mm-hmm. that it's just chaos. So life is our boulder. But what he says is, um, uh, you know, it's it's such a heavy chore and you, you have to push this rock and, you know, you do it in vain because it rolls down the other side. However, if Sisyphus just accepts that, okay, I have to roll this boulder, um, that's, the, the, that's what I'm doing. There's no way around that. Um, as he accepts that fact, uh, he is also freed from, you know, the mental side of, of that chore. Uh, he frees his mind to enjoy the things around him. He can enjoy the sunset, 
when he walks down the mountain to to go roll the, the boulder up again you know he can hear the birds in the trees he's, he's free to take in all of these other things you know that happens in parallel with this inevitable task of just rolling this boulder so so that's why he uses that myth and you and you touched on kierkegaard um it's funny because all, all of these philosophical directions they use different you know uh, ideas to, to try and bridge that gap between what we need and what the universe gives us. And Kierkegaard, he uses religion. He says, yes, um, existence is absurd, but we have God, you know, uh, in, in what, what they in philosophy call the leap of faith. Um, but it's a false solution, isn't it? Because if, if, if there's a God and if, if God, you know, gives meaning to everything, then it kind of, the universe kind of isn't absurd anyway. And then you have newer existentialists like, like Jean-Paul Sartre, who basically says that the only way to counter, you know, the absurdity of existence is suicide. You could kill yourself, <laughs> you know, uh, which in my opinion isn't that good of a solution. No. Uh, and, <laughs> and which Camus also says that, in what way does killing yourself counter the absurdity of existence? It ends your existence, but it only it, it only makes it more absurd. So that's no good way of countering it. Then, yeah, that'd, uh, that'd be counterproductive, Lars. If you're going to make it more <laughs> absurd, <laughs> yeah, maybe that maybe that's it. You, you really counter it by sort of pushing it along. <laughs> How can we make this more absurd? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the Wikipedia page is fantastic because it actually has a breakdown between monotheistic existentialism, atheistic existentialism, absurdism, and nihilism. And it has this whole chart yeah. where it breaks this whole thing down. Yeah. And it's interesting stuff. And, and I, I like the fact that they've done that in the Wikipedia page. I mean, you can read all the literature and it's, it's really interesting to read. But um, I think that these topics... They're not topics that should be just in complicated ways in in philosophical literature. These are the big questions that everyone wonders about. You know, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Yep. How can I how can I move about this existence for the years that I have it? You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, that was my approach with sort of lift, lifting this over into into my musical world and then trying to do something with substance when it comes to, to lyrics because I think a whole lot of, of hard rock and metal bands have a tendency to underestimate their audience. Um, and I have to say, I've been touring on and off for more than 20 years with uh, with my other bands, with Borknagar and uh, with uh, Solafold. And um, I always meet a lot of intelligent people that I can have really interesting discussions with uh, uh, in all my concerts. So for once, um, I want there to be a hard rock album with with proper depth to the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes more sense now because with the first line in The Shovel and the Cross, I have the lyrics up just to make sure I get it right because, you know, I am here against my goddamn will. And yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, I think that resonates with just about everybody. I know when I heard the song and you said that, I thought, I resonate with that. that that's the way it is, you know, and you don't have to hate life for that to resonate with you. It, right. It's just, you know, a contemplation over how we spring into existence. 
it's like there's no survey before we we exist. It's like we just there you go, you exist, and then you have to sort of find find out how you handle all this stuff as you go along, um, and that's fine. But I just want to state that um, we didn't really ask for any of this. We can be thankful that was handed to us, but you know. This was not from from our own will. We we have to you know put our will back to the point after we lived life to the point where we can properly contemplate what's what we've been doing and how we've been doing. You know, mm-hmm. it's a strange thing. Yeah, I I remember at one point I was talking to my parents and I said something like, "Well, I didn't ask to be here," and they're like, "Well, that's depressing." And I said, "Well, not really. It's the truth. I didn't ask to be yeah. here." And not saying I'm not grateful, but at the same time, even that, where was where is that gratitude coming from? Because I don't have a choice, so I might as well be grateful. But what's the alternative? Not being here, and I don't really know what that's like. Because I was maybe I was, uh, or maybe I do know. Well, you you, you have not existed. Uh, it's just hard to remember not existing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but it's you know it's it's these that, that's the that's the the really interesting thing uh, um, about philosophy. I think uh, to me, I'm, I've always been interested in philosophy, but I have been interested in philosophy not because I want to remember what small Greek dude said a lot of years ago. Right. Uh, I've been interested in philosophy because it relates to my own life and how I feel about the world. Um, and I think if, if, if that's how we talked about, uh, if that was how we talked about philosophy, more people would be interested in philosophy. Maybe we should stop calling it philosophy, just calling it contemplating life, you know? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? Where are we supposed to go? Yes. You have a degree. Interesting questions, I think. Yeah. Have a degree in contemplation. Yeah, I'd I'd go for a degree in com- t- contemplation, a master's degree in contemplation. <laughs> Beautiful. Something else you guys did on the album that I actually really like, just because you said the fucking violence of love, and the word fucking, I'm guessing, is part of that violence. So I just thought that that was a really nice play on the English language. It is. It also has several meanings, you know, because this is also connected to um, to the philosophical side. And I also have, you know, I like to try and, and, and take the philosophy and, and just force it into everyday life, into, into very, you know, physical things. Um, uh, so, so it's it's interesting to play with play with words and play with language, uh, the, the language like that, and also to, to try and... Um, incorporate two ways of thinking about things in in the same lyric. So uh, so yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, let's go through. Do not sleep. What's going on with that guy? That's where it starts, right? Mm-hmm. It starts with you actually finding out that. There is no sense to anything, um, and um, th- there are like two ways of handling that. It's either just pushing it away, hoping it won't come back and overwhelm you, uh, or it's diving into that and and just trying to find out uh, what the fuck's really going on, right? 
And so that's the starting point for the whole contemplation when it comes to, you know, um, the absurdity of existence and that road that the brain goes down when, when you start thinking about these things. Uh, so the reason why I start with do not sleep and not do not sleep is it's fucking important. It's, it's one of the most important things you'll do in your life is deciding you won't turn away from these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you will actually um, attack them head on. Uh, so that's that's what that song is about, and that's like the starting point of that whole journey, so to speak, that that philosophical journey. Um, and also, I mean, all the lyrics in this album, I um, I wrote them in a stream of consciousness way. Uh, so it's trying to mimic the way that the brain, or at least my brain, works when when I think about something, when when I'm trying to find something out, the, the brain works in a weird way. It's it's thinking in, uh, it's not thinking in straight lines. It, it thinks haphazardly. You know, you're trying to find out something, and then you suddenly come to think of something else, and you sort of drag that into the same thoughts, and it's it all becomes a sort of chaotic, um, you know, way of of walking down a very, you know, twisted road. Um, so in in the cover, uh, and uh, I guess you guys you don't get the lyrics from from the record company, so so you can't see how we put this up. But in the cover, you have the lyrics in black, and then you have uh, I, I've written like red comments that come in between the lyrics. That's sort of a philosopher's comment uh, commentary. <laughs> so the lyrics are are. Um, uh, written like stream of consciousness, uh, like the brain would work, and then there's like red comments coming in, uh, going against the lyrics sometimes when the brain goes out to the left where it should have gone to the right. Uh, comments on on the realizations that uh, that your brain comes to and sort of follows you through that, um, uh, kind of trailing the tracks of of uh, the myth of Sisyphus, this book by by Albert Camus, where he lays out his whole philosophy. Um, so yeah, there there should be a lot of things to find for people who are interested in these kinds of things. Uh, and also, there are some good one-liners that you can shout out when you are uh, drinking a beer and just listening to the music if you want to do that. So let's hope there's something for everyone. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So then, does the album arc? Does it, so it starts at Do Not Sleep. Does it arc in a story by chance on this journey and then end at the air was sick with smoke? Is there is there a climax somewhere in the middle here? Yeah, there's um, the the story is like the the uh, the natural road that your brain goes down when you contemplate these things. So it's first you know realizing the issue, um, and, and then it's kind of trying to rip that thing apart and going going. Uh, through it or around it or finding some way to to counter that uh, without accepting it. Uh, And then there's the acceptance and what the acceptance does to you. But there's also the the problem that arises uh, when you accept it in the fact that it's not easy to, to always keep that acceptance, you know? Life is life. Life life will throw curveballs at you and, and you will be unsure if you've thought things right and you, you had these uncertainties. Um, so um, that's why you have the smoke in the air in the last song because it's, 
it's not really clear still, even after you've gone through all of this, you know, your brain has sort of put things into their places and you have this technique that you can use to sort of get on top of things, but it's still hazy. So yeah, there's, there's a kind of an arc, but it's not, it's not that obvious when you just read it. I think it's become, it's becoming more obvious if you read it and you also listen to the music at the same time, because there's an interconnectivity between the lyrics and the music when it comes to these things as well, where I've tried to sort of inject these, um, um, you know, sentiments or feelings uh, along the way. I've tried to enhance the, the lyrical side with what I do with music and, and vice versa. How did you do that? Did you write lyrics to the base of the song and then go back and say, production-wise, we might need to add something in until you got there? How did you do that? It was a very dynamic process. I mean, some of this was music first, lyrics after, then adjustments. Some of this was lyrics and, and music at the same time. Uh, some of it was lyrics first, and then music uh, after the lyrics. So um, I came to a point where I'd made like all the, the demos. Uh, I'd made demos of all the songs, so I had... Um, I, I had the full album uh, and I could um, uh, adjust things accordingly. You know, I, I, could, uh, I could make sure that uh, uh, I have the proper feeling of how this moves, you know. I also had, um, I had to move songs and change lyrics and, and do adjustments uh, because of that as well. Uh, so uh yeah that that was uh that was kind of a lot of work but but I think it's a rewarding uh, it was a rewarding process at least for me and I I do realize that uh, most people won't dig into this you know the, the way that I've written it and sort of get out everything that I put into this but I'm thinking that it's it's a good thing for me. It feels good for me to have done this in a proper way, you know, to, to make sure that I do my part of this, uh, you know, properly. And then if some people actually dig really into that and, and get something, you know, good out of it, then that's really positive for me as well. So, yeah. That's part of the absurdity of life, Lars, is that you do this work into the record and then maybe somebody gets it, maybe somebody doesn't, but then you, you go and you do the work again. And yeah, yeah. I like working though, so <laughs> I'm fine with that. There's something about the creative process. If if you have a feeling that you um, you set a proper goal for yourself and you work towards that, that's fulfilling. You know, that's me creating my own meaning with within the boundaries that I'm given in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Now these lyrics that you mentioned that uh, we wouldn't get otherwise are those on the pink vinyl? Like if we get the pink vinyl and we open it up. Will the lyrics be in there? Yeah. Okay. You want to see? I can find it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Two seconds. Okay. It's not far away. Here we go. So, that's the album. So that's how you get the lyrics. Mm-hmm. You get the reds in between. Beautiful. And also our beautiful faces, of course. Mm-hmm. 
and then behold the pinkness. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Pink is the new black. You know that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why it's inside of a black, uh, you know, what do you call that thing? The thing that holds the vinyl. Why do I not know the name of that? Vinyl she- holder. Vinyl holder. The sheath. The sheath of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I guess the only other questions I might have is with these videos that you guys did. Um, was this amongst, did you guys do all this, like the production, the writing, the music videos amidst like lockdown stuff? Or was it maybe a little more lax in Norway during? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, this was all done during uh, the pandemic. Uh, I mean, the recording of the album wasn't, but uh, mixing and mastering was done during the pandemic. The videos I did uh, during the pandemic. So there was a lot of mask wearing and, uh, uh, yeah, precautions. So, but, you know, you manage. Uh, we, we knew what we had to do to, to stay safe. And uh, it's pain on pain in the ass to, to do all that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, you just make it work somehow. Yeah. It's fun work making videos anyway. So if you have the possibility to, to do that, you... For sure, you can wear a mask and, and you can wash your hands more often. You know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Slight, slight inconvenience. Beautiful. Okay. Well, we chatted about "Do Not Sleep," the shovel and the cross. We chatted about the album "Anti," the lyrics. We even took a look at the album itself because you have one next to you with the pink vinyl. Beautiful pink vinyl. Uh, yes. What else did we get into? We talked about. Absurdism, Kierkegaard, Sisyphus, existentialism. Uh, we chatted about a lot of stuff here. Was there anything that we were supposed to chat about that we we absolutely have to? Management says, Lars, you gotta you gotta chat about this. Did I miss anything? Oh, the music, maybe. Sure. What do we need to know about the music? <laughs> it's funny. We 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 talk mostly about uh, concepts and the uh, lyrics and uh, the covers and uh, and everything. Didn't talk that much about the music. So maybe maybe we should do that. We could do that. Let's chat about the music. So my understanding is you play keyboards, yeah? Well, I I, I play what you give me, you know. Uh, but um, I actually started as a drummer. Um, I did uh, I did drums and drums and keyboards and vocals for uh, for Solafold for about nine albums before I uh, I gave the drumsticks to another guy who was better than me because I didn't play that much anymore. But I I, I play keyboards and I sing in uh, in Borknagar. So as instruments go, I guess keyboard is the one that I uh, use the most. Yes. Okay. I guess my lead into that was how was the material for this record approached? Is it keyboard music? Is it guitar music? How no, I write everything on guitar. Okay. Uh, which is a really good way to test riffs because I'm a pretty bad guitarist, uh, which means that I cannot hide a bad riff behind good technique. Um, and I hear a lot of bands who play pretty mediocre riffs uh, with really good technique, so it kind of sounds cool, you know. And it's a really easy test for me to, to find out if a, if a riff is, is good or not. And that is, if it sounds good when I play it, it's a good riff. <laughs> I can't tell it between anything. And also, it's really funny to, to you know, when I've written a, a song to sort of 
sit down with uh, with our guitarist, uh, Aivin, who's a really good guitarist and has a very different approach to, to playing than I have, and just hear him translate the stuff into his own, you know, musicality and his own way of playing. That was a really rewarding process about this because I made all these songs uh, before I gathered the band, to be honest. I didn't really set out to, to make a new band. I just made a whole lot of music. And then I found out uh, i got to do something proper with this and I, I have to gather um, a proper band because I don't want this to be like a project. This is not like a one-off solo album thingy. This is a proper band. Uh, and when he came in, when Avon came in, and he started to sort of rewrite the riffs, uh, that's when I think the whole thing opened up. Uh, he he sort of released magic in in that process. So that was uh, that was a really cool process for me. Uh-huh. So then, how long has this been in the works for? Like, were you guys able to get together and practice and jam and do all the things that a band would do? No, not really like that. Well, we, we, we gathered a few times and we've played a bit together, but mostly this has been like we've been two, two or three in the studio trying out things together, working a bit on our own, sending files. Uh, so, so the real rehearsing, you know, as a band didn't really start until pretty late here. Uh, when we started, you know, preparing to to play live at some point, if the world ever returns to some kind of new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the recording was was done like in in bits and pieces, I have to say. Um, but also because of the pandemic, there, there's been so many restrictions in Norway when it comes to uh, travels and, and stuff as well. So the last parts that we did, like after the pandemic, and also the mixing and mastering, that's that was a bit of a pain to to arrange. But yeah, it's the same all over the world, so can't complain. Mm-hmm. How did Nuclear Blast get involved? When you knew that this was something that needed to be done properly, and you had the band together, and you had something gelling, did you then just start shopping around for a label? Uh, no, I kind of just made most of the album first uh so when we had mixed like five songs i think and five songs were like i don't know 80 80 percent done like in the mix um i started sending a few emails to to a couple of contacts uh and i i was kind of i didn't really know because this is um it's a, we have a kind of an eclectic approach when it comes to, to how we write music, right? So uh, it's it's hard to really pin down if it's is it is it like occult rock or is it you know is it metal or what what, what is it? So I was unsure if if I was going to get some um, someone to 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 want to release it, but um, th- there was uh, quite a lot of interest. So I entered negotiations with uh, with three different labels and just try to keep you know uh, keep everything open letting everyone know that i was talking to to other people and just see who who could you know serve serve the best purpose for, for this band and uh the link to nuclear blast was i um i knew jens poiter who's the head of anr uh for nuclear blast uh, a little bit from his time in uh, central media 
because uh, we're signed to Central Media with uh, with Borknagar. So I I've just met him a few times and just chatted a bit. Uh, didn't really know him well, so uh, I um, I just sent a, a message asking. Um, I have this. Uh, I have this album in the making. I have some songs. Um, can I send them directly to you, or do you want me to go through, you know, the, the normal way that you usually do with with these things? And uh, he was like, "No, just send them over, and I'll I'll listen to them." Uh, and so that's how that whole thing started, and uh, entered negotiations pretty soon after that. And uh, yeah, it's a really good match. I, I work really well with with uh, that record company and all the people there. Uh, I mean, really professional guys. So uh, a joy to work with. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Do you have a favorite song musically on the record? Yeah, it's kind of like, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> it feels, feels a bit like that. Um, I think um, one of one of the songs that I have a special, you know, relation to because it's, it's so far away from anything I've done before uh, is Where You Go, You'll Bring Nothing. Because um, it, it has these parts that are really mellow Um and it was really interesting for me to to explore that side of myself as a vocalist because yeah i'm I'm not really used to singing um with that kind of of expression um I'm usually boss out singing singing as hard and high as I can you know and and there had to be a different sensibility to that one so um so yeah um that one's kind of special to me in in the collection of these songs. Okay, so, was, so that's so that's the kid I like the most. Beautiful. Um, musically, was there anything else that you tried differently? Different keys, different ways of writing. Anything that you did maybe outside of what you would normally do musically? Well, um, the, the whole the whole process of writing was really. Um, I mean, at no point did I have to try and force myself to write anything. It was really easy. It just, uh, I was in a flow throughout the whole process of writing this. So I think that's um, uh, that's a new thing for me, to, to feel that it's that easy to get stuff out. Uh, and I think that's also connected to the fact that this is music, inspired by two different genres that I've loved since I was a kid, but that I've never really had uh, a proper outlet when it comes to inspiration for. I mean, there are some 70, there are some 70s, uh, um, you know, approaches in the keyboard work of, of Borknagar for sure with, with Hammond organs, but it's, it's not that you know tightly connected to to seventies music. It's more just it's a sound that you connect to the seventies. So for me to to be able to sort of um, live out this uh, this inspiration in the way that I've done with this project was was really rewarding. And the same thing with with my the the influence that that um, British new wave has had on me. Um, I mean from from the early eighties. Bands like New Model Army and, uh, well, New Rhythmics, for that matter, Duran Duran. I always loved the way that Duran Duran made their vocal melodies. Simon Le Bon, love him as a vocalist. So I think if you listen through this uh, album, you, you'll hear, like, 
some some echoes of uh, of the early eighties in it as well, especially when it comes to the vocals and and that melancholic way of of building these um, vocal melodies. So yeah, it was really nice to to finally be able to to get an outlet for for that inspiration that I've carried for years. Cool. All right. Well, Lars, I believe we've chatted about everything under the sun, just about. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, managed managed to squeeze it in, in into a uh, pretty short time too. I'm I'm uh, I'm proud of myself. I'm a talker, so <laughs> beautiful. Well, great to have you on the show, and thank you again for coming on and sharing White Void with the Rock Metal Podcast. Thank you very much for having me.